Megan Bob, and I'm here to understand the mysteries of wrestling. And I'm Miles, and I'm here to help with the aid of my favorite wrestling show. This is The Next Wrestling Fan, an NXT review podcast for would-be wrestling fans who don't know where to start. And current wrestling fans who want to relive the magic of that first time. This week, we mix it up with the episode of NXT that originally aired on October 2nd, 2013. In this episode... Mixed tag team comedy matches, new tag team <laughs> champions, and the world's most obvious case of mistaken identity. <laughs> Perhaps not obvious enough for some. <laughs> no, not for some, but for us. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to episode 20 of The Next Wrestling Fan, a podcast of fights and feels. Holy shit, 20 episodes. Anyway, oh my god. Last episode, between Brad Maddox and Triple H and JBL, we just had tons of explaining to do. This episode is more self-explanatory, fortunately, but don't worry, Bob is still going to break it down for you. We are also sadly going to have to explain why we are ringing the bell on a couple of our new friends here in NXT. After that, we'll explore the sights, sounds, and feels of pro wrestling, get into a very special, at least for me, Wrestling History of the Week, and finish things up as we always do with the Cheap Pop Quiz. But before any of that, we're gonna need to get the results from last episode's Cheap Pop Quiz. Question number one, which main roster wrestler shows up in the next episode to be Emma's partner for her mixed tag team match against Summer Rae and Fandango? Fandango, sorry. A. Sheamus, because that dude just cannot stay away. B. Rob Van Dam, the stoner wrestler who we saw a commercial for in an earlier episode. C. Santino Morella, the comedy wrestler who you may have seen dressed in drag during the 2020 Royal Rumble. D. Former reality TV star turned pro wrestler Mike Mazanin, aka The Miz, who has been feuding with Fandango on the main roster. Or E. Chris Jericho. Bob, you selected D, The Miz, which was actually a really good selection considering he was feuding with Fandango on the main roster, but as you now know, the correct answer was C, Santino Morella. Boy, I didn't know what I was in for. Yeah, we'll get to this. Question number two, next episode also features another appearance from El Local, only he's a little bit different. What's happened to him between episodes? A. He decided to wrestle without a mask and has changed his name to Ricardo Rodriguez. B. He's decided to retire from wrestling and become a ring announcer. C. He's teamed up with a guy named Tyson Kidd to form Los Locales. Mm. D. He's suddenly gained a bunch of weight and gotten super tall. Or E. He's suddenly lost a bunch of weight and his arm tattoos have mysteriously vanished. And Bob... I don't know how you got the right answer on this one, but you chose E and you were correct. I don't, I don't know how I got the right answer on that either. Yeah, that's baffling to me. <laughs> and question number three, who wins the NXT Tag Team Championship match on the next episode? A, the Ascension win and are your new tag team champions. B, Graves and Neville win and retain the titles. C, the Ascension wins by disqualification, but don't win the championship. D, Graves and Neville win, but new general manager JBL awards the titles to the Ascension anyway. Or E, the match ends in a draw, Graves and Neville retain. Bob, you selected B, Graves and Neville win and retain the titles. As you know, that is incorrect. Correct answer is A, we have new tag team champions, and they are the Ascension. 
perhaps less surprising that I did not see that coming. All right, I believe uh, that puts you up to five in this uh, round. I'll <sighs> confirm that later and probably re-record this part if that's not true, but that's what I think is true, so we're going to go with that for now. I'm using critical thinking, which I encourage people to do in my classrooms, and yet have <laughs> not only recently begun employing myself. I really thought the El Local question was going to get you. I have no explanation. Just a, a voice from the universe. There's actually a very similar question on this episode's Cheap Pop Quiz. We'll see if you get that one right. Okay. Before that, of course, we have to get through the rest of the show, and we kick things off, as we always do, with Bob's Breakdown. First match. It is Summer Rae and Fandango. Versus Emma and Santino Morella, who I kind of don't have a read on, except for the fact that he is Italian and has sort of a bit of a baby face. Yeah, he's of Italian ancestry. He was actually born in Canada, but he is like Italian ethnicity. Okay. So when Summer Rae and Fandango come out, the energy is very much like it's after 8 p.m. on a cruise and everyone's had a little more to drink than they usually do. (laughs) And the crowd is so excited about Santino, though. Miles, what is his history? Why is the crowd super into it? They are already shouting, this is awesome. So we're going to talk more about him later. But uh, suffice to say, 2013, this was just kind of a moment for both Santino and Fandango. They were both like really popular for like kind of silly reasons. Like Santino is just really good at this comedy stuff. And, you know, Bob, you've been watching a lot of Chikara lately. You know how well comedy can play in pro wrestling if it's done right. And Santino is pretty good at it. And so I think that's just people like him. He's funny. He's way better than I anticipated, given that I did see him in the Royal Rumble and was like, this is in poor taste and I don't care for it. Yes. I was prepared to go, oh, God, more of this. And then he really surprised me. His physical comedy is just like utterly off the charts and his style of comedy works so well for wrestling. Like it plays so much better when he's in the ring to me than when he's doing like comedy skits like backstage, which he used to sometimes do because his like over the top physicality really sells everything. He really does. So this is a mixed tag match, which means that only dudes versus dudes and women versus women. That's right. So. We get such a powerful sense of who Santino is because when he and Fandango start off, he gets a knee in the gut and crawls to the apron, clutching his stomach like he might hurl. So this is comedy wrestling. And also he's a little bit more delicate. And then on commentary, they mentioned the Cobra. So I'm sure that's not going to be that weird, my brain says. (laughs) Reader, I was a fool. (laughs) so the cobra comes out which means that santino does this thing where he holds his arm like it's a snake and then moves to strike fandango with it like his hand has fangs and fandango scuttles out of the ring away from it what is happening this is now just cirque du soleil (laughs) like it's not even wrestling anymore now we're just like it's commedia del arte it's classic clown work it's a little bit of mime you don't want to get hit by that cobra dude that's no joke apparently i mean it is a joke but it's not a joke (laughs) yes by no joke i mean it absolutely is a joke And then it ratchets up because what happens next is it turns into who's on first. Santino and Emma go back and forth tagging like Santino doesn't know how mixed tags work. And the ref is yelling as they keep tagging each other in. So they're facing off against the wrong partner. What they're doing is like 
one of them tags in, and then they, like, to support the person who just tagged in, they high five, <gasps> which is a tag. That's <laughs> so. even better. <laughs> At one point, you can see Fandango yell, stop high fiving. Oh, my God. As Miles pointed out, Fandango and Summer Ray are pissed. The ref is also very pissed. Yeah, the ref's upset. So Fandango finally gets his hands on Santino and works him over. Santino is the face in peril and Fandango goes to the top rope to set up a move in one corner. And Santino down on the mat just slowly rolls away across the mat. (laughs) And then Fandango goes to the opposite corner and sets up again going, well, okay, fine. He's coming this way. I'll do it. Santino looks up and just feebly rolls back the way he came. Oh, oh it's so, so good. good. Emma and Summer Rae get some ring time after the dilemma, and Santino holds out a green sock, and Emma takes it. It is a sock that you put on your arm that makes your arm look like a green snick. That's right. So now prop comedy is happening. This oh, yeah. is what I legitimately signed up for. This is what I wanted. <laughs> and now all four of them are in the ring and Emma and Santino set up synchronized hip tosses, flipping Summer Rae and Fandango down. So they're looking pretty rough. And Emma passes over the green sock and the crowd chants, Cobra, Cobra, Cobra. So Santino puts it on and pokes each joint of his hand like he's articulating an action figure or doing, yes. I don't know, postmodern balloon animals, I guess. He's got a, he's got a set of up you know yeah yeah apparently it's not enough to just put on the sock that is that's step one so now he's got the cobra and santino pops fandango in the mouth with it and fandango just collapses in the middle of the ring to be pinned by santino and i mean for kit yeah snakes (laughs) and now we get a package about the ascension and it doesn't really matter what they say because the only part that truly matters is that connor o'brien says that the two of them will be taking the tag team championship to where they belong. Quote, our home. They live together. (laughs) Soft vampire lover boys is canon. The fandom gods have blessed this package. O'Brien, he even smiles when he says our home. Miles, what do you think their home looks like? I mean, I can only assume it's a drafty ass castle. I don't even know why I asked. You're so right. You're so right. (laughs) So match number two. I got my wish. It's Cassius Ono, my lanky surfer boy versus Luke Harper, my favorite sweaty cultist. Oh, man, the crowd is like drunk on the Wyatt family theme, just swaying so happily. The crowd in general this episode is super into everything, and it makes it works so much better than it would have otherwise. Like, the mixed tag match does not work if the crowd is not just in love with everything they're doing. Yeah, they're in love with most everything that happens in this episode. I think their feelings about the tag team championship match are perhaps a little bit more lukewarm, but... Yes, well, we'll get to that. (laughs) (laughs) So the bell goes and Luke Harper throws Cassius Ono out of the ring And Cassius Ono sells the hell out of this. And then Luke Harper steps heavily on Ono's chest and elbow drops him. And I'm like, is Cassius Ono even going to get a chance to do a wrestle? And he he creates a little distance and does a boot to the snoot, causing Luke Harper to fall out of the ring. Then Ono follows it up with a graceful slide between the ropes to pop Harper in the face again. So maybe Ono can do this. Come on, my surf bum. Ono runs at the ropes to whip himself at Harper. He's picked up speed now. Then it's just like right the fuck into Harper's boot and Ono gets a clothesline from Harper pinned and it's done. It was maybe seven minutes, maybe. 
why didn't Cassius Ono get longer? Why didn't he get to win this? Is the booker mad at him? Yeah, that was like three minutes. Oh, my God. It is very strange that Ono not only didn't get to win this, but like didn't even look particularly strong for very much of the match. Especially because Harper isn't in NXT anymore. He's a main roster guy now. And like, you know, I get that they like putting over the main roster guys as just like better than the developmental guys. But you would think Harper just left like they were fighting each other pretty evenly before. And this is kind of Ono's, you know, comeback. You really would think that um, that he got to win this. Unfortunately, I think what this is, is further evidence that WWE and NXT are not into Cassius Ono right now. Quick story about Cassius Ono. He was supposed to be in The Shield. What? The original idea for The Shield came from CM Punk. CM Punk, uh, you know, I think we've talked about him a little bit before. Very, very famous, popular wrestler. Yeah. When The Shield first came onto the scene, they were eventually revealed to be working for Punk, who was a heel at the time. It was his idea to form this group based on three guys from Developmental. And he originally wanted Moxley, Rollins, and Ono. Because he and Ono go way back. Oh. Uh, but they didn't want Ono in there. They they put Roman Reigns in there instead. So it's kind of a you know weird sliding doors moment where it's like Roman Reigns took that shield momentum and became one of the biggest stars in the company. Cassius Ono had a longer journey, so to speak. Um, yeah, that's wild. I'm trying to picture what that would have been like. And I'm sorry Cassius Ono had, you know, rough treatment from WWE, but also kind of glad he wasn't in the shield. I very much appreciate what his journey ultimately became, and it made yeah. me like him even more. So we'll yeah. talk about that later. So anyway. backstage promo with Enzo and Cass. And all you yes. really need to know is that this promo actually has a joke to it. And the joke super works. Yeah, it does. <laughs> Cass makes a joke about tacos and not the hard kind of tacos. And it takes Enzo the entire promo to get the joke. And he's so proud of himself for getting it because obviously the opposite of hard tacos is soft tacos. Soft? And Cass just says, yeah, it wasn't that hard. Sometimes I worry about you. <laughs> Miles, the shtick is starting to work on me. Oh, I'm God. Telling you, I it's know. It's starting to work on me. I know. You don't want it to happen, but you can feel it working its claws into your psyche. <laughs> I, this is the most I've ever thought of Cass as a human being, because primarily <laughs> he was just like a tall unit of human being. And I'm like, OK, he doesn't really have a character. He just occasionally chips in. And then I'm going, oh, whoa. There's actually some stuff happening with this character, and now I'm kind of interested. Yeah, for all that we rightfully rag on the two of them for everything that they are, we are entering into the time period where, you know, they are kind of a thing, and there's a reason they were a thing, and the reason is because they are extremely entertaining as a unit. What are you going to do? Yeah, they do have a good uh, buddy comedy vibe going. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people who are entertaining while still being dirtbags in real life, so. I mean, Twitter, guys, you've been on there. Yeah, that's a thing. (laughs) Now we get a package about Mojo Raleigh, a man who wants to ask if we've heard the good news about being hyped and remaining so. Oh my god. I mean, shrug, I guess consider me told. I have nothing more to say about Mojo Raleigh at this time, as I am unclear on what I am meant to feel other than this man cares a great deal about hyped. 
I will make up for your lack of things to say about Mojo Raleigh with many things to say about him <laughs> as we continue, because Mojo Raleigh is legitimately one of my least favorite wrestlers of all time. So oh my. Strictly in terms of his televised work, not again, not him as a person. Like, he seems like a perfectly fine individual. I just every time he comes onto camera, I, I want to throw myself off a cliff. So. Ah, OK. Now we get the tag team match. So. Mm. Those vampire husbands, they're ready for this championship match. And the two shiniest ones start this out. So Neville and Victor, who I don't know why they're the two shiniest. They just are. You can only have one shiny one in any tag team <laughs> partnership. Neville and Victor start off and there's some good hobbity nimbleness. And then once Connor O'Brien is tagged in, I mean, guys, he's really quite big. There was no way <laughs> that Neville was going to pull that out of the dive. And then lanky Elf Faye comes barreling at him. And you will not be surprised to find that O'Brien lightly hoists up Corey Graves and then falls back to let him flapjack down from about seven feet in the air. <laughs> yep. I guess the arrogance of elves. Graves is busy being an imperiled face and gets locked into the insane leg scissors of O'Brien, who spoons like his thighs are vice grips. <laughs> he does leg lifts with Corey Graves sandwiched between his thighs so he can jostle Graves' ribs. He does leg lifts with a full-grown human man like it's just not that big a deal. I just have to let that settle. And I also have to comment that I can only presume that Rick Victor has never been so turned on in his entire unlife. <laughs> So Victor is tagged in for some okay wrestling with Corey Graves, but the crowd is kind of not into it. There's a chant from three dudes of, you can't wrestle. Totally unclear to me if it's aimed at one or both of them. Thoughts on that? I, yeah, I'm not sure. It's not a great match, honestly. It's fine. Yeah, it was fine. So Graves makes that hot tag to Neville and the crowd revives, screaming for Neville as he does a flip that takes out both vampire boys at once. Victor comes at him while Neville is in the corner and Neville just sort of pirouettes up and over the ropes to the apron. It is like gravity forgot him. I know they say that and I'm like, nah, that's not a thing. But no, with Neville, it's a thing. He's so beautiful. I love the way he does that shit. I don't have words for what it is that Neville is capable of. You just kind of have to watch him and go, I can't believe he's a human being. And he goes for the red arrow, but Victor rolls out of the way. And that means that you know, Neville is laying there going, ah, that hurt. And Graves <laughs> rescues Neville from being pinned, then gets tagged in. And Rick Victor drop kicks him, which gives the Ascension the opening they need to do their top and bottom takedown where they both run at their victim. I see what you did there. Yeah. I, I, uh, we don't know. Who knows? <laughs> O'Brien pins Graves. And now it is the era of the vampire champions. Miles. Yes. Vampions vampions and I, the crowd's okay with it i think yeah and then we get an rvd package mm -hmm. and he's gonna be on nxt next week and i'm kind of excited to see this flippy man i am very excited to see what you think of rvd i can't tell if he looks like somebody who i would go oh my god this guy's at the party or if i would go yay this guy's at the party <laughs> speaking of this guy <laughs> it's, it's time for the main event, which is the Bo Dallas Invitational. And I want to just say that Sanadine's fanfic, Lucky Tiger, makes this so much more surreal. It is indeed oh. like watching an inhuman creature doing a very inconsistent human impression. Yes. First up in this gauntlet is some dude in purple. And no one knows 
who the fuck this dude is. He didn't get a name tag. He didn't get anything. The crowd shouts, let's go this guy. I love NXT, Miles. I love it. (laughs) I'm I'm so so happy. I actually do know who this guy is. uh, Okay. Because I looked it up on the internet. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me about Uh, this guy. Well, uh, we're actually not ringing the bell for him, first of all, because it's not going to be his last appearance in NXT. Yay, this Um, guy. His name at the time, he was going by the ring name of John Icarino. Okay. uh, More commonly known on the indies as Chance Oren. He's still wrestling today. He wrestles a, a lot on the independent scene. He's done a lot of stuff in um, Full Impact Pro, done some IPW, which I believe is an Irish pro wrestling oh. event. He's done some Evolve. Like He's basically like a staple on the independent scene. Has been for a number of years now. But at the time, he was he was just this guy. I want to memorialize this guy in some way. I don't know what would be an appropriate way to sort of celebrate the importance of just a guy who makes Bo Dallas go, huh? But this guy deserves something. I do want to let you know, I need to let you know, Bob, that this match is like just a couple of years after he debuted. Uh, he's still kind of getting his footing. But um, when he originally became a wrestler, he was a member of a team called the Forget About It's. OK, he was a uh, Johnny Forget About It. And his partner was Donnie Forget About It. You know what? That totally tracks with the era we're in. That makes yes. complete sense to me. <laughs> So this guy gets in one move on Dallas and Dallas's face pinches in confusion like, I didn't know that could happen. How strange this world is. (laughs) Needless to say, nameless guy doesn't win. You know, he's out. Then Leo Kruger comes out next and Cesaro comes out very shortly after that. And they do this. I saw him first thing. They both get into the ring at the same time. And Cesaro does a gracious. You know what? Go the fuck ahead. It's fine. I can wait. I mean, why would you ever trust that? He attacks Kruger when Kruger's back is turned and the two of them are scrapping and Kruger gets knocked out of the ring. Bo sneaks in and knocks Cesaro out after him. So the two of them are out of it. And then the music of El Local. But this guy doesn't look like El Local from last time. He looks a little more generic. (gasps) Oh! He leaps over Bo, follows it up with a big old boot to the face and then pins Dallas for the win. Who is this masked man? This wiry <laughs> hero. The mask comes off and it's our very own Sami Zayn. Who was banned from this competition. Yes. Dallas points at him like it's a horror film and scatters from the ring. His guide to this planet had not informed him that humans could lie. <laughs> and the episode ends with a shot of a panicked Bo Dallas cradling the championship belt to his chest and looking deeply distraught. Some real top shelf wrestling deception there by Sammy. <laughs> I will say it took me a little longer than it should have to figure out that that was Sami Zayn. That's good. <laughs> Perhaps I myself am a bit of a Bo Dallas, as it turns out. <laughs> Look, Bob, like eventually you'll reveal your home planet origins, but not today. <laughs> How did you find this episode, Bob? strange. I think it was a lot of things I just wasn't expecting, and it felt a lot more comedy-oriented, which was absolutely delightful. And then I really thought I was going to have a lot of big emotions about the Tag Team Championship, because I I care about the elf-hobbit friendship that has sprung up. I, I like watching Neville do stuff. And then that match was just sort of nothing. And It didn't have much of a story to it. No, and I didn't kind of know how to feel about it because I was going, I should be feeling things. And instead, Mm -hmm. I'm just sort of going, oh, well, this is a match. And I mean, it didn't help that the commentary was 
Uh, fine. I have thoughts about the commentary. <laughs> we'll get to that. We'll, we'll get to that I'm, later. I'm shocked, Miles. Shocked. In in the sight sounds and feels of pro wrestling. But first, we do have to ring the bell. Okay. So we are ringing the bell for both Santino Morella and Fandango on this episode. All right. Fandango will actually return to NXT, but it's going to be a long damn time. And okay. this is Morella's absolute final appearance. There weirdly comparable wrestlers in terms of their careers. They both started out with good credentials, I guess, depending on how you think of the term credentials. Uh, Morella is a legitimate wrestler and martial artist, while Fandango, under the name Johnny Curtis, was the winner of season four of Game Show NXT. He was a big part of NXT Redemption, which, if you recall, was the weird fifth season of Game Show NXT that lasted 67 episodes and quietly stopped being a game show because the powers that be had just forgotten it existed. And he even had a brief run in actual NXT prior to our coverage. Both of these guys also had notable main roster debut matches. Morello won the Intercontinental Championship in his first match, while Fandango's first match came at WrestleMania 29, where he defeated Chris Jericho. What? In his first match, yes. It was it was sort of controversial at the time. Everybody was like, wait, what? Why? How? <laughs> I need to um, see that. They're both very good at what they do, but they've also been prone to poorly timed injuries, which could be the reason they've had limited success when it comes to championships. Morello only has a few brief title runs to his name, uh, while Fandango has actually never won a championship in WWE. They both got over with pretty objectively silly characters, <laughs> and they got popular for kind of funny reasons. Morello was the comedy wrestler in WWE for several years, and fans loved Fandango's music so much that it actually charted for a brief period of time. Okay, I can believe that. Due in part to Vince McMahon's warped idea of what comedy is and um. means and should be. Oh, no. Uh, their storylines were occasionally problematic and frequently revolved around the women in their lives. Morella mm. had numerous on-screen relationships and infamously won the WrestleMania 25 Women's Battle Royal while dressed in drag and calling himself Santina Morella. Mm. While Fandango was seemingly always dealing with drama surrounding the various women who played the role of his dance partner over the years, Summer Rae being only one of them. And they both sort of petered out around 2015-2016. Morella was forced to retire due to injury and was subsequently fired by the WWE, uh, while Fandango was relegated to jobber status when the company bothered to use him at all. But... They also both came back from that point. Morella has wrestled several independent matches over the last three years after having surgery on his neck. Most recently, and unfortunately, uh, revisiting the Santina character for the 2020 Royal mm. Rumble. That was probably not his idea, but, you know, whatever. And Fandango found his wrestling soulmate in the form of... Ah, uh, well, we'll get there eventually. <laughs> so it is now time for the sight, sounds, and feels of pro wrestling... Megan Bob, for this episode, what did your elf eyes see? This isn't anything, but it just caught my attention. After a particular punch from Conor O'Brien, Corey Graves lays face down on the mat and kicks his legs like, ah, that really hurt. <laughs> I don't know what it was. It was just such a interesting way to sell a move, and I'd never seen anyone else do the leg kick of, ah, that hurts. 
You actually see it fairly frequently uh, on the main roster. I'm not sure how often it happens in NXT, but I've, I've seen that a lot over okay. my years of watching wrestling. Miles, what did your elf eyes see? The whole El Local thing is just so amazing to me for so many reasons. First of all, anybody else dressing up as a luchador would be less obvious than fucking Sami Zayn doing it <laughs> to a bunch of people who know who he was and who are very used to seeing him wrestle under a mask. That ginger beard poking out from below the luchador <laughs> mask is so distinctive. The build is so distinctive. Like, he hits the kick in the corner, which El Generico used to always do. Like, it's so obvious. And yet, and this bleeds into what my Vulcaneers heard, the commentary team is so bad for this episode <laughs> that they completely fuck up this entire thing. It takes them until after Zane has pinned Dallas to acknowledge that this is supposed to be El Local. At the beginning, they're just like, who is this person? I've never seen him before. What? Who is this mysterious wrestler? And it's like, motherfucker, it's supposed to be El Local. Like, it's the entire <laughs> point. That was the whole point of all of this. <laughs> oh, no. And then, like, after the match, when he's leaving the ring before he unmasked, Phillips is like, Elo Call, big win for Elo. It's like, oh, now you know who he is. Now you now you recognize who he's supposed to be, even though it's clearly not him. <laughs> what are you people doing? There is an element of very bad community theater to it. Anyway, Bob, what did your Vulcaneers hear? Because I'm going to talk more about the commentary, but first I need to like take a breath. I think it was Alex Riley who just mentioned that they were talking with O'Brien and Victor and that O'Brien and Victor had said, oh yeah, we both feed together. I <laughs> knew they were vampires. I fucking called it. <laughs> I was so vindicated. Yeah. And then also I was like, of course they feed together. They're lovers, as we know, because they live together. Absolutely. All my headcanons coming true. This is everything I needed to know. Miles, what did your Vulcaneers hear? Good Lord, Alex Riley. What <laughs> is your fucking problem? Why can you not do this? Between the shit he was talking during the mix tag, there's that weird moment at the beginning of the mix tag, like before um, Emma and Santino even come out, when Alex Riley is talking about like something about how much he enjoys cat fights or something. Oh, yeah. And then he, and then he tries to throw it to Renee to talk about Summer Rae, but Renee is not on mic yet because Renee has to interview Emma at the top of the stage first. That was so, so confusing. <laughs> He tries to throw it to Renee, and then there's just silence, which is great because it makes it sound like Renee is just, like, ignoring him. Yeah. Which I wish was what she was actually happening, but no, she's not fucking there. <laughs> you idiot. I was um, like, how did he not know Renee wasn't there? Like, they're I mean, actually physically seated by one another. I guess it's possible she was sitting there just, like, without her, like, mic hot, and she was just, like, getting ready, because the announce is kind of up by the stage, so she might have been oh, sitting with them, okay. like, while she waited for Emma to come out, and he just didn't understand that, like, she wasn't on mic yet. There's so many things over the course of, of this episode, like, not just the sexist stuff, but, like, he won't stop talking about how cute Emma is and how he has a crush yeah, on her. Yeah, that was weird. And then, like, during the fucking Ono Harper match, like he's saying weird things about like, as a journalist, even I don't know what the Wyatt family's deal is. People come up and ask me to try and get an advantage and I have to tell them I don't know because they won't talk to me. It's like nobody fucking cares. Does he get it's, better? I'm going to guess not. I don't <laughs> know. I really don't know. Anyway, Megan Bob, what did your human heart feel? <laughs> so much happiness whenever I finally did realize that it was Sami Zayn, which 
I am embarrassed to say it took me a good 30 seconds to figure out. So once that 30 seconds had elapsed, pure joy. The whole like wear a mask and it's actually the guy underneath. It was always a good time, especially when it's that obvious. It makes it even a little bit more fun for me. Oh man. And Bo Dallas's look of betrayal sold it so well. I think that was one of the best things Bo Dallas has ever done. And Miles, what does your human heart feel? Mojo Raleigh debuts next week and I'm just like, What does he wrestle like? He wrestles like, okay, so here's the thing about Mojo Raleigh. I don't want to, like, taint your own opinion of this. Like, you, you can inform your own opinions of Mojo Raleigh, and if it's different from mine, that's fine. But Mojo Raleigh's whole thing is I don't get hype, I stay hype. And, like, uh-huh. I think he's lying. Like, his matches <laughs> his matches are always, like, he's high to the beginning, but then, like, it slows down. Like, he, he doesn't stay hype. Oh, I, what? I, I disagree with you, Mojo Raleigh. I don't think you actually do stay hype. I think you get through your hypeness at the beginning. Oh, and my I gosh. Don't, I don't know. I just don't enjoy watching him wrestle. I am so fascinated by the idea of a wrestler whose central claim is not proven by their actual wrestling. And they're just like, no, no, no. This is my thesis statement. But I'm not committed to it. I haven't watched a Mojo Raleigh match in many years. So maybe with time and distance, I'll enjoy him a little bit more. Mm. Um, But boy, am I not thrilled to see him coming in. Well, with that, it's about time for the wrestling term of the week, which in this case is wrestling history of the week. But before we can do that, we need to get uh, Megan Bob's fanfic explaining last episode's wrestling term of the week, which was mixed tag. The crowd bayed hungrily. They'd been waiting weeks for this mixed tag match. Ever since, Cleopatra had attacked Molly Weasley during a backstage interview. <laughs> what? Then Antony had cut a promo calling the Weasley family out as dull mid-carders cluttering up the roster with their myriad <laughs> talentless children. The Weasleys wouldn't stand for that, nor would Antony and Cleopatra after Ginny Weasley had nearly chokeslammed Cleopatra into the next life. She was going places, that Ginny. The match was well underway as Antony preened in the center of the ring, locked in a test of strength with an irritated-looking Arthur Weasley. (laughs) You don't have to do the hair flip, you know. Everyone can see your smug face well enough, Weasley grunted. Antony smirked. Ah, you don't like me very much, do you? It's true. In time, we hate that which we often fear. Molly Weasley snorted loudly from her corner, waiting for a chance to get tagged in and take down Cleopatra. You think smug gits scare me? Arthur broke the hold to deliver a punishing lariat to the neck of Antony, who spun and dropped down to the mat. Mate, I work for the Ministry of Magic. On the scale of smug gits, you're a point three. (laughs) He ambled over and kissed Molly on the cheek to tag her in. Cleopatra leapt from the top rope trying to get Molly in a crossbody, but Molly caught her in midair. Cleopatra froze, horrified. It's like you've never done a push-up with twins climbing all over you and a baby strapped to your back, dear, Molly said, (laughs) before easily lifting and slamming Cleopatra into a powerbomb and then holding her down for the pin. Antony and Cleopatra looked haggard and aghast at their loss. What? You didn't think anyone over 40 could take you lot? Let me put it in words you'll understand. Arthur gestured proudly to Molly as the ref held her hand up to the crowd. Age cannot wither her nor custom stale her infinite variety. Now piss off. Nice. I like that. Yeah. David Keough, a.k.a. Ferguson Locke, is the one we have to thank for this. And Ferguson Locke is more of a visionary than... I think I could ever hope to be. That was really good. I <laughs> know, <laughs> weird. It's like, it's unlike anything else we've ever done. 
But yeah, yeah. I, I'm a big fan of the love between Molly Weasley and Arthur. We're big Weasley fans in general here. And just, just as a PSA, Jenny, if you're listening to this, you can do better. <laughs> you can do so much better. I know some people anyway. are big Ginny Luna fans, and you know what? I, I get it. Well, thank you so much for that uh, that fanfic, Bob. Uh, and thank we'll, you, Ferguson Locke. Thank you, Ferguson Locke. You are rapidly proving yourself to be a highly intellectual wrestler. Yeah. Educated feet, educated mind. Yeah, and of course, part of Ferguson Locke's uh, intellectual prowess is the fact that uh, he is a patron of our show at the $5 level, uh, which means he has first pick. He gets to jump the line in terms of selecting characters for the fanfic. So if you have some characters in mind for Bob's fanfics that you would like to see represented on this show, go over to patreon.com slash NXT wrestling fan and become a patron at the $5 level. It's time for Wrestling History of the Week, and as uh, listeners of this show know, I've been trying for a while to squeeze in um, a Wrestling History of the Week about the history of women's wrestling, and this seemed like an opportune episode to do that because there's not a wrestling term that really jumped out at me that will help you understand the next episode, Bob. But one thing that is on the next episode is a, a segment involving no fewer than seven women, which is pretty good. So seemed like an apropos uh, moment to start talking about the history of women's wrestling. Hell yeah. Now, I usually write these things up ahead of time. In this case, what I'm going to give to you right now is actually an excerpt from something that I've been working on for a while on my own time, which is a piece about the history of women's wrestling, specifically through the lens of the annual WrestleMania event. You know, I use WrestleMania as inflection points over the years Mm -hmm. to talk about what's happening at WrestleMania as sort of endemic of what's happening in women's wrestling at the time. So if you're okay with it, I'm just going to give you the first part of that. Yes, Um, please. I think it's a really cool story. I think it'll give you um, a really fun historical period in which to set a fanfic. Mm. Um, So, yeah, that's what we're going to do this time around. And I'm also just kind of proud of it. So. I hope you all enjoy it. This should be educational for uh, wrestling fans and non-wrestling fans alike. Hopefully. All right. So, Bob, I don't know if you knew this, but um, there have always been female wrestlers. What? (laughs) I know. It's crazy. Professional wrestling as it exists today is usually said to have begun around the turn of the 20th century. It was born in the circus. And while nearly everything else has changed in the ensuing 100 plus years, it has always maintained a circus philosophy toward drawing a crowd. Variety. A series of diverse attractions aimed at appealing to the largest possible number of people. Not a fan of horses? Don't worry, we also have dogs. Don't (laughs) care for the sword swallower? Buy a ticket anyway, you'll love the trapeze. Not really into scantily clad men trying to hold each other down? Perhaps these scantily clad women will interest you instead. The murky, heavily mythologized early history of pro wrestling is teeming with women who were generally presented as special attractions on otherwise male-dominated shows. They were frequently used as valets or managers for the men, and in many states, women's wrestling was actively banned. But there was also a wide pantheon of women who traveled the nation offering cash money to anyone, man or woman, who could last five minutes in the ring with them. Oh, hell yeah. They brawled with audience members, engaged in hour-long grappling classics, and fought each other for territorial championships. It was not uncommon for a women's match to be the main event of a show. What? Yeah, they frequently drew a bigger crowd than their male counterparts. Fuck yeah. And just as tales of the men who competed in the first half of the century have been dramatically retold, embellished, and simply made up over the years, there are still wild, apocryphal stories told of the women from the same era. Most of them are remembered as tough-as-nails farmhands or scrappy ex-barmaids, women who had been left struggling to survive by a failed marriage or a kid to feed... 
They had dyed blonde hair, leopard print leotards, and that legendary Depression era grit that made them vicious opponents in the ring. They smoked cigars and got in bar fights. Yeah. A few were believed to be murderers. Ooh. Sorry, I shouldn't make a ooh sound for murder. Murder's bad, guys. <laughs> There was never anything resembling gender equality in pro wrestling. Behind the scenes, almost all of these women dealt with exploitation, both financial and sexual, and their appeal was always seen as having roots in the male gaze. But in the pre-WrestleMania days, women's wrestling could frequently be described as thriving. And there were no plans for that to change in the 1980s, when Vince McMahon Jr. changed the game by taking his father's World Wrestling Federation national and making it the dominant wrestling promotion in the industry. In fact, women played a key role in McMahon's initial success. The WWF's first big break came in 1984 via a partnership with MTV, and it might never have happened if Cindy Lauper hadn't gotten involved. What? The popular singer's partnership and on-screen feud with WWF manager Lou Albano led to an event called The Brawl to End It All, in which Lauper and Albano's respective champions would wrestle for the WWF Women's Championship. Lauper was in the corner of Wendy Richter, whom McMahon was attempting to build into the female equivalent of Hulk Hogan. Albano represented the fabulous Moolah, whose reign as champion dated back with few interruptions to 1956. Jesus. Moolah wasn't just a wrestler. By the 1980s, she effectively controlled the entirety of American women's wrestling. If a promoter wanted women on his show, he called Moolah. Almost every successful female wrestler of the day was trained at her school, including Wendy Richter. Until selling it to McMahon in 1983, she literally owned the women's championship. She was also, by many accounts, a ruthless and immoral businesswoman who had total control over the lives and careers of the women in her employ, taking large portions of their earnings for herself and pimping them out to male wrestlers and promoters. But in the 1980s, in the public eye, the fabulous Moolah was women's wrestling. Richter and Moolah were the main event that night, at the brawl to end it all, their match taking precedence over a contest between Hulk Hogan and Japanese legend Antonio Inoki. In fact, Richter vs. Moolah was the only match that actually aired on MTV. With Lopper by her side, Richter's upset victory and the end of Moolah's historic title reign did a 9.0 Nielsen rating, the highest in the history of the network. All of a sudden, thousands of kids and young adults knew what the WWF was, and McMahon proceeded to ride the sudden wave of popularity straight into a new dynasty thanks to the all-or-nothing 1985 spectacle that was the first WrestleMania. Lopper was there that night in Madison Square Garden when Richter, once again the challenger, regained her championship from Moolah disciple Leilani Kai. Moolah herself didn't wrestle on the first WrestleMania, appearing instead as Kai's manager. Moolah's reign at the top appeared to be over, and with a locker room full of her students, a strong connection to the rock music industry, and a young, tremendously popular champion, American women's wrestling prepared to enter a new, glorious era. Five years later, it would be dead. Wow. And that's all for this one. If everybody enjoys that, I'm going to keep going with this when we have some more wrestling history time. We're still going to be doing terms, obviously, but... Bob, if you enjoyed that and if everybody else wants to know more about the story and how we went from that to everything that came after that, (laughs) we will continue the story of women's wrestling on a later episode. And assuming Bob can figure out a way to work a fanfic into what I just gave you, uh, you can come back on the next episode to hear it. I'm going to have to do some thinking, but there's something here. There's something good. 
Thank you for allowing me that. I'm like I said, I'm I'm proud of this, and I'm oh, glad I got so a chance good. to share it. It's such a wild fucking history too, and it's so like it's so infuriating to think of how women's wrestling has been treated by Vince McMahon when you think about the fact that he literally owed everything to it. Erg. All right, we are rapidly coming to the end of our time here on this episode of The Next Wrestling Fan, but we cannot leave before engaging in the latest edition of the Cheap Pop Quiz. Bob, are you ready? I am so ready. Question number one. Next episode's main event features main roster superstar and modern wrestling legend Rob Van Dam. Who is his opponent in that main event? Is it A, NXT champion Bo Dallas? B, Sami Zayn? C. Alexander Rusev, D. Aiden English, or E. C. J. Parker. Rusev. Rusev. Question number two. Next episode also features yet another appearance from El Locale. Oh, nice. But once again, he's a little bit different. What? Okay. What's happened to him between episodes this time? A. It's actually him and not Sami Zayn pretending to be him, which is to say he's gone back to being the same version of a locale we saw lose to Zayn two episodes ago. B. He's decided to wrestle without a mask and has changed his name to Ricardo Rodriguez. C. He has unmasked, but instead of wrestling, he appears as Rob Van Dam's personal ring announcer, Ricardo Rodriguez. D. He's teamed up with a guy named Tyson Kidd to form Los Locales. Or E. He suddenly gained a bunch of weight and gotten super tall. Uh, do it twice, Bob. Do it again. I dare you. That's what I want it to be. Uh, Wait, which one? I want it oh, to the, be the that he's fat and tall. Yeah. You know what? I'm going with that because it's just what I want. Okay. E. He suddenly gained a bunch of weight and gotten super tall. And finally, question three. Next episode, as mentioned, you will at last witness the debut of Mojo Raleigh, who is probably best known for his friendship with a popular celebrity in the world of American sports. Oh, boy. I'm at a disadvantage here. Yes, I know. (laughs) (laughs) Which celebrity is Mojo best buds with? Is it A, former Cleveland Browns quarterback Johnny Manziel? B, retired New England Patriots tight end Rob Gronkowski? C, champion hockey player Alex Ovechkin? D, Olympic swimmer Ryan Lochte? Or E, former American women's national soccer team goalie Hope Solo? You know, hockey doesn't get enough attention, and I don't care about Ryan Lochte, although I do think swimming is cool, so I'm going with hockey. Alex Ovechkin, answer C. Although, fuck yeah, women's soccer. Fuck yeah, women's soccer. They should get paid. Yeah, they should. All right, Bob. Well, I think that's all we got for this episode of The Next Wrestling Fan. Thank you, as always, for joining me. Thank you for leading me. (laughs) I do my best. Before we go... Breaking news. Oh, my. In the next wrestling fan, Wrestling Federation, we have a new champion. <gasps> An upset. Oh, my gosh. It was a good run for Sidreal Constellation, our reigning champion, but they have been dethroned. When we first signed Marissa Bond to our promotion, we liked the sort of super spy gimmick she was doing on the indies. You yeah. know, playing off the Bond name and everything, but, but actually calling her Bond was potentially litigious on television, which, of course, we have. <laughs> Uh, so we changed things up a bit. A little less James Bond, a little more pulp. Oh? In fact, we uh, we took inspiration from the 1990 film Dick Tracy. Oh, yes. Which, I don't know if you remember this, but it features a villainous masked character called The Blank. Yes. And uh, 
By inspiration, I, I mean that we put Marissa in a luchador mask and called her La Blanca. Oh, I love it. Oh my God, I love it. Now, uh, La Blanca is a mysterious figure whose true identity and motives aren't entirely clear. Oh my. Despite the fact that Blanca also means white in Spanish, she almost always dresses in black. Oh, uh, wow. Both because she's a villain and because we want to make it clear that it's not that kind of Blanca. In addition to the black mask and black gear, she has a long black trench coat and, of course, a black hat. Oh, yes. A, like, you know, a brimmed, you know, sort of film noir style black hat. Uh, she wrestles a very intelligent luchador style using her quickness and agility in conjunction with her cold, remorseless intellect yeah. to deliver moves that look painful rather than showboaty. And most importantly, Bob, can you guess the most important thing about LeBlanca? Does LeBlanca have a communicator watch? Of course she has a communicator watch. <laughs> <laughs> she has a watch. It is also a communicator, but that's not all. Oh my. LeBlanca's right. watch actually has the power to manipulate space and time. Oh my god. Which she uses to freeze her opponents in place, move them in different directions and ways, or go back in time to counter their biggest moves. That's brilliant. Sidreal Constellation, a fantastic champion, but even their undaunted determination was no match for the power of the watch. Oh my and I realize God. this sounds like some Chikara comedy shit, but I assure you it's quite terrifying. <laughs> LeBlanca oh, is your new champion. Thank you to Marissa Bond for becoming a $10 patron over on patreon.com slash NXT wrestling fan. What does this reign mean? What does LeBlanca want? Who can conquer the dreaded might of the watch? Oh, no, probably no one. That's so powerful. Or can someone? Someone can if they go to patreon.com slash NXT wrestling fan and uh, become a $10 patron. They will successfully dethrone La Blanca. But until then, we are all living in confusion and terror, which isn't too far out of the way for any of us these days. But you know what? <laughs> I believe someone can step up just like I believe that someone can step up in the real world. So uh, thank you so much to Marissa. Thank you so much to all of our patrons. Uh, Want to let you know that the first patron bonus episode which will be on the subject of the wrestling documentary Lipstick and Dynamite. Yeah. Is coming your way very soon. So keep an eye out for that, as is the most recent romance novel episode. Yeah, we read The Heiress Effect by Courtney Milan. If you would like to read it and have feelings about gender roles and society during the Regency era... Please go ahead and buy that book and read it. And uh, we are more than happy to talk about it to you on Facebook or Twitter. Lots of bonus content coming your way and more bonus content could be coming your way if we hit our next Patreon goal, which we are $27 away from Indeed. as we record this. So, uh, yeah, again, go over to patreon.com slash NXT Wrestling Fan. We really appreciate your support, especially right now. Yeah. Uh, we know that you're doing what you can. If you can't, that's fine. Absolutely. As a reminder, all the Patreon money for April is going to a local food bank uh, in Bob's Neck of the Woods. Yes. And um, we very well might be doing something similar with the Patreon money for May. So, as a reminder, uh, that is currently where your money is going. We really appreciate your support and uh, helping us help other people. Yeah, and the Aggie Food Cupboard really appreciate it too. And that's not all, Bob. No, we have it's not. Other things in the works, uh, including our next wrestling watch party. Oh, I'm so excited. Among other things, Bob has specifically requested a tuxedo match. So yes, that will I be have. happening. I <laughs> need to watch two people wearing tuxedos 
and have them ripped apart. This is a requirement for my life. And I will get my deep-seated needs met on May 17th at 1 p.m. Pacific. And we will be reminding all of you of that through various channels as we come closer to it. But yes, I I need this. The last one went really well. A lot of people showed up and uh, we had a lot of fun. There were no real technical issues. So we're doing it uh, via cast again, the same setup we had last time. Um, And again, we will be posting the uh, the event and the link to that in due course. Yeah, I'm very excited. I really need to see Kenny Omega wrestle uh, Blob Doll. If you're a member of the Smash Fiction fan faction, by the way, you know that we have been doing watch parties with cast in that group as well. Yeah. Uh, Most recently, the 2019 film Cats, which was (laughs) an entire experience. It was wonderful uh, in its own weird way. (laughs) I'm kind of getting into musicals lately. It was never a thing that I was super into. But we watched the 2011 Royal Albert Hall Phantom recently, which was quite good. Oh. And we also watched the sequel to The Phantom of the Opera, (gasps) Love Never Dies. Oh, no. Which is quite bad. (laughs) Oh, I'm so sorry. I need to know all about it later, but I'm so sorry. But I mention this primarily because one of our listeners and, of course, former Smash Fiction co-host Claire Mulcairin added us on Twitter Super Sentai Bros said on Twitter, Cats is just pro wrestling, except there are no matches. It's just entrance music and promos for two hours, which A, is absolutely true, and B, got us thinking about which uh, cats correspond to which wrestlers. Yes. Um, We're going to need some more time to think about this. We would like to hear from all of you. So uh, feel free to hit us up on Twitter at NXT Wrestling Fan about which cats correspond to which pro wrestlers. Personally, what's the name of the the glamour cat? Grizabella. Grizabella, yeah. Okay, so she's definitely Goldberg, right? Because Goldberg Goldberg was like an old... How dare you say that about (laughs) Grizabella? You're a monster. Goldberg was an old star whose star had burned out and recently got another championship run after he was already old and useless, which is Grizabella's whole thing. No, Grizabella's wonderful. Miles is spouting (laughs) profanation here. Moreover, in the 2019 Cats movie, McCavity teleports. I don't know if you guys knew this. Oh, boy. But he totally teleports. So he corresponds to the fiend Bray Wyatt. Hmm. Who is the person that Goldberg took that championship from? Just like Grizabella took the balloon from McCavity at the end of the movie. (laughs) I rest my case. Uh, Oh, my QED. (laughs) Oh, my God. Anyway, if you have any thoughts on that or if you want to uh, say anything else to us about wrestling or musicals or whatever else, once again, we're at NXT Wrestling Fan on Twitter. Our Facebook page is uh, the NXT Wrestling Fan Podcast. And our email address is nxtwrestlingfan at gmail.com. So hit us up in uh, one or all of those venues, though. All would be a little bit odd. Give us some more of these galaxy brain cat takes. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Next Wrestling Fan. We will be back in two weeks with a new one. Bye. The Next Wrestling Fan is produced by Miles Schneiderman with logo design by Claire Mulcairin. Special thanks to Rafael Medina for our theme song, Learn Buckle. You can follow his creative work on Twitter at EarthMofo. 
Also, thanks to Kevin McLeod for additional music and stingers, which are licensed under Creative Commons. Find his work at www.incompetech.com. We're on Twitter and Facebook as the NXT Wrestling Fan. Come talk to us. You can also follow Miles on Twitter at MJ Schneiderman and Megan Bob at Megan Bobness. Visit our website at nxtwrestlingfan.com for show notes, episode transcripts, and more. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and review wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, feel free to email us at nxtwrestlingfan at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks. Just I'm trying to picture like what a drafty ass castle in Florida looks like. <laughs> it's deep in the swamps. Yeah, it's one of them them their swamp castles. Yeah, it's like the one from Holy Grail, you know, like <laughs> build build a castle, it's take you to the swamp. So I built the second one, that's take you to the swamp. The third one stayed up. You know what? They're very industrious people, vampires. O'Brien's probably been working on that castle for a long time, but like wasn't quite sure how to finish it and make it stay up in the swamp. But then when Victor showed up, like he lent his architectural expertise and that's how Connor knew that they were truly soulmates when Victor helped him finish the castle. Oh my God. How much Property Brothers do you think they watch together? Oh, so much. <laughs> <laughs>